One of the most thought-provoking ad campaigns to hit the media circuit shows in, in, individuals in various athletic endeavors. Some of them are biking or running or playing basketball, tennis, handball, baseball, football, aerobics, weightlifting. And, and the ad concludes with a simple yet challenging message. Just three words, and it says this, just do it. Just do it. The subtle message is, you know, what are you waiting for? When are you going get, to get going and start living your life to the fullest? The subtle message is, when are you going to get up and get moving and get on with your life? And I like that message, and the reason I bring that ad up at this particular juncture is because the thing that I like about the message and I agree with is that it really relates to us as Christians. All too often, many of us sit around and we wait for God to give us some direction. We're waiting for an audible voice from God to tell us what He wants us to do and where He wants us to go. And... Uh, Obviously, that voice never comes, and as a result, many of us never get up and start doing what God wants us to do. I like what Tim Hansel writes in his book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. He writes this. It says, the habit of always putting off an, expense, an experience until you can afford it, or until the time is right, or until you know how to do it, and I may add, until God gives you clear direction, he says, is one of the greatest burglars of joy. He says, be deliberate. But once you've made up your mind, jump in. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, once you've made up your mind and come to a decision, just do it. Just get on with it and get it done. And uh, we're going to see a good example of that, in the, in the, of this particular philosophy, in the life of Ruth as we continue in our study, particularly today as it deals with, it was love at first sight. It was love at first sight. In Ruth chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to see how Ruth, entertains this philosophy of, you know what, hey, when you know what you're supposed to do, you just go ahead and get it done. And uh, in Ruth chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we're going to read, and, and by the way, mark your calendars down because you are all going to be part of history. Today, we are going to do, and we're going to study, a whole chapter in one sitting. How about that, huh? You may not get out of here till noon or a little bit after. But we're going to get it done. We're just going to do it today. In Ruth chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 7. Ruth 2, 1 through 7. We read this. Now, now, now Naomi had a kinsman. i got to slow down. I know i got a lot of stuff to do here. So Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. It says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said, Hey, may the Lord bless you. It was kind of like the early version of, Hey, we love you, man. And uh, he said, Hey, no, I, I love you, man. And so Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Who's young, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers answered and said, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for just this little while. And in this per first particular sec section of Scripture, what we find is an introduction of Boaz to Ruth. In verse 1 we read, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. As we go through this, we begin to see uh, some details about this particular individual that Ruth is going to meet. 
His name is Boaz, and his relationship to Naomi is that, and it says that they were kinsmen or related, some translation. He was a relative of her late husband, Elimelech. So what we're, we're being introduced here slowly is to the idea or the concept that these particular men, Naomi's husband and Boaz, were cousins. And it's important that we understand from a relationship standpoint that they were related and we're being introduced slowly to a law that none of us really understand or can comprehend because we don't have anything quite like it. But it's important that we recognize and understand something that what we're finding here is that there are kinsmen or the concept next time we get together next week will be that of a kinsman redeemer. And it's important that we recognize and understand that everything that God did in the law or the Old Testament was to be a tutor that would lead the Jewish people into understanding who Jesus was. It was a tutor. The law would lead us to the fact that we can't do it on our own, that we're going to need a redeemer. And so as all these things take place, it's a picture of what God would do in the person and the work of Jesus Christ downstream. And so these laws, as we see, are basically to help these people and to walk them along step by step so that they can understand who Jesus was and what he was there to do. So this idea of a kinsman redeemer is one we'll develop next time we get together. But for our purposes today, we need to understand and recognize that's very significant that they were related to one another. Because eventually, Boaz will be used to redeem that which was lost to Naomi through the deaths of her husband and her sons. So there we go back to the concept of being redeemed. So anyway, we see that they're related. The second thing that we notice is there's a, the, the reputation that he had. The Bible says that he was a man of standing. Some translations say that he was a man of great wealth. Others say he was a mighty man of wealth. And all these translations are from an expression that's used of the judges. They weren't always materially wealthy, but what they had was a wealth. And this will go to show you the difference between our culture and how God looks at wealth. Because basically this whole idea was to let people know that Boaz was a man of great stature, a great uh, integrity, a man of great standing. It had nothing to do with how much money he had or how many possessions that he had. It was the fact that he was a man of integrity. Also, it was used to describe people who had a good understanding of the Word of God and the laws of God, and not only did they know that, but they lived it. So here we see this, uh, this description of Boaz and this reputation that he has is that he's a man of great integrity. He was the kind of guy that if he said he was going to do something, everyone that knew him knew that he'd follow through and just get it done. And that'll be important, too, as we see in the relationship as it develops between Ruth and Boaz. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of character. He's a man of his word. And it's going to be evident as we see in the treatment of Ruth, and it comes down to the gleaning and the redeeming process. But the third thing that we notice, too, is, is that as we look at this, his name is Boaz. Now, remember, names mean very much, and we've talked about that. We talked about the fact that Naomi and Elimelech had two boys. One was, was puny or unhealthy. The other was sickly. And, you know, their names meant something. Now, relate this for a second. She was married to Malon, whose name was unhealthy. And Boaz, his name means, is a man of strength. In whom there is strength. Now you think about that. This is going to be the man of her dreams. This is her dream man. And, and now ladies, I know this isn't a stretch, so just stop and think for a moment. You know, this lady was married to this unhealthy, puny guy who ultimately dies. And into her life comes her knight in shining armor. This, this man of great strength. Just like, how many of you are here with your husband? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind about your husband? This, this man of great strength, this, this, this knight in shining armor. Every guy, right? Right, guys? Hey, amen, right? Hey, we, hey, oh, hey, I hear you now. We rode onto the scene, and that's never been the same. This guy is going to change Ruth's life forever, just like your man did. 
Well, maybe not quite like that. Maybe, I don't know. I guess I'd have to know you a little better to make that decision. But anyway, that, that's, the, that's what we see here. So those are the details about Boaz. Now notice in verses 2 and 3 the desire of Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Hey, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one whose sight I may find favor. What, what do we see happening here is we see that th this is a very strange law and one that we need to recognize and understand in order to understand the whole story and the background to it. But what she was saying was, she went to Naomi and said, hey, can I go out now and glean and get us something to eat because we're starving? Now, remember when Naomi was, was trying to convince Ruth not to come with her back to Bethlehem? She said, hey, I don't have anything to offer you. I mean, I don't have, you know, I don't have any children. I don't have any more sons. You're not going to get married. You'll never get married there because no one's going to want to marry you there. Uh, they're going to hate you and despise you because of your background. We don't have any food. I don't know what we're going to do. And she just said, hey, well, we're just going to make it work out. And so Ruth went with her. Well, now they got back and she realized, hey, you know what? She was right. We don't have any stinking food here. So she went and said, do you mind if I go out and glean in the fields? Well, the gleaning process, if you have your, your Bibles, God had a way of protecting his people when they were poor. And if you've got your Bible, turn back a couple of books to the book of Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 19. And we're introduced to this law that many of us don't understand, nor can we relate to. So it's important that we recognize what was taking place here. But in Leviticus 19, look at verses 9 and 10. This was God's way of providing for poor folk. He said, now when you reap the harvest, in verse 9 of Leviticus 19, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, talking to those who own land and had property, he says, when you reap the harvest, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard, you shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. You see what he's telling them to do? He's saying, look, when you go out and you harvest what you've planted, don't go out and harvest every last drop of whatever it is that you've planted. What I want you to do is just leave back behind whatever falls behind. Don't make any effort, extra effort to go back and pick it up while I drop some stuff, but just leave it there. Because, and he says, and if you don't like it, I don't care. I like how God just does that sometimes. And, and if it's not an option, and we're not going to debate it, if you don't like it, I don't care. That's why he says at the very end, I am the Lord your God. Now, every one of us as parents recognize that last statement, and it's a statement of authority. I just want you to know, I'm your dad. And it's like, that's it. I'm not going to discuss it anymore. We are your parents. It's a done deal. God says, I am the Lord your God. That's the way it's going to be. Don't want to hear any ifs, ands, buts, buts. Stop your moaning and whining and complaining all the time. There's a good reason for it. And I do, do what I do because I'm who I am. And that's just the way it is. Amen. All right. So now that you got that out of the way, uh, if you go to chapter 23, look again at verse 22, the same law of uh, gleaning. Um, chapter 23, verse 22, we read the same thing. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and for the alien or stranger. Why? Because I said so. Amen. Case closed. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. 24, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 24. We read in verses 18 and 19. I like this because God makes a point. He says this. But you shall remember... And what he's saying is, don't ever forget, when you were a slave, and you were in need, and you were oppressed in Egypt, don't ever forget what it felt like to have to go to another person to provide for your needs. 
Don't ever forget what it feels like when you have to go ask for food and they would give you some if they felt like it and they didn't give you some if they didn't feel like it and they messed you up and they really destroyed your human dignity and your sense of worth before God. Don't ever forget, and what he's saying basically is, don't ever forget where you've come from. Boy, and you know what? That's one thing that all of us can learn a lesson as far as, hey, you know what? Don't ever forget where God has brought you from. He took these people out of the land of Egypt and he said, you know what? I'm commanding you to do this thing so that it'll be a reminder of you of how far I have brought you from. He says, when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. Man, I love this. And you know what I like about this? Because, see, what's happening is we know Ruth is poor. We know Naomi's poor. Just the fact that she asked if she could go glean in the fields puts her into that category. Not only is she poor, but she's also a stranger in their land. Not only is she a stranger, but she's also a widow. This poor woman had it just reaped upon her as far as Naomi was concerned and as far as Ruth was concerned. And what God did to ensure the, the dignity and the worth of the individual, guess what he made him do? If you are hungry, guess what God said to do? Go out and work. Wow, that's something that we can't relate to. I mean, you talk a culture shock here. He didn't say we'll send you food stamps or we'll put you in a line or we'll get you signed up and you know, we'll just send a check to your house. He said, look, if you're hungry, I've provided for you. Here's how I'm going to do it. You want to eat, get off your rear end, go out in the field and glean whatever you want and I'll provide for you. And it'll be a reminder that not only to those who have much, but also to those who have very little, that God provides for every one of us. Well, I like that. And I like the fact that he maintains human worth and dignity. And you know how he does it? by making people feel that they're valuable enough that they can go out and provide for their own families without it being a handout from someone else. There is nothing that will rob the dignity of a human being any worse than someone feeling like they are being given uh, some kind of a charitable handout. And what I don't like about our culture, and I'm going to be blunt, and it's, a, it's something that needs to change, and that is simply this. We have made people in our country, we have stolen their dignity as human beings, and we have enslaved them by giving them something for nothing. And the reason that we do it as politicians is so that we can get their vote. Because the more people you give something for nothing to, the more they're going to be inclined to vote for you if you continue to give them something for free. God, help us to understand what we have done is we've destroyed a generation of people who have grown up in the last 30 years since the Johnson administration and all the social giveaway programs, and we've created a whole subculture in our country of people that have no dignity anymore because they can't go out and earn their own way and, their own, and, and, and provide for their own families. Man, you know, we need to recognize that God had a lot of wisdom in what he did, and there was a reason for it. So we see that, you know, she was poor and she went out into the field and she began to glean or she would, which, which brings up an interesting question. Have you ever struggled trying to make a decision to the point where you're almost paralyzed that you didn't know which direction to go? Have you ever struggled with, you know, I don't know if this is what God wants me to do. I mean, should we do this or shouldn't we do this? Should we go to this place or shouldn't we? Should we take that job or shouldn't we? Should we hire that person or not? Should we fire that person or not? You know, have you ever struggled with, you know, I'm, I'm just so confused about what to do and I'm so afraid to do the wrong thing that I'm just paralyzed to the point where I don't do anything. And I'm waiting for that audible voice from heaven of God saying, do that or don't do that. Have you ever struggled with that? And have you ever struggled with this? 
Now, I don't understand how this works. Now, God gives me the freedom to make choices, and yet I also understand that he is totally in control of all things, which is the sovereignty of God. God gives us the freedom to choose, and yet, regardless of what we choose and what direction we go, God is still in charge and in control behind the scenes. Does that ever give you a headache thinking about that? Oh, man, it gives, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You have to stop and go, man, I don't know what to do here. Now I want you to put yourself in, in Ruth's position. Ruth says to Naomi, I want to go out and get us some food. Naomi says, hey, that's a good idea. I'm hungry too. Go ahead out and get it then. And so Ruth goes out. And she's stepping outside. And I can just see her now going like this. I don't know where to go. I have no idea where to go. Now, if you understand your geography at all, you know that Bethlehem, like most cities in the Middle East, was up on a hill. So she would walk out and she would look and there's a hill and she would be able to see all the valley below. If you get a good encyclopedia, you'll be able to see where, the, where Boaz's fields were in relationship to all the other fields that were around there. And so she's standing there and she's going, I, I don't know where to go. I'm a stranger. People have already heard about me and I've heard about them and I know that they're not going to like me because of my background and my racial background. I'm a Moabite, and uh, I don't know where I'm going to go, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I can just see her going, I know that I need to go get food, but I don't know where to go. I know I need a job, but I don't know what job to take or what direction to go, and I, I don't know what to do. And so she stood out there, and she looked around, and, and she just kind of went, well, i got to do something. Now, she, she could be like many of us, and she could have been, oh, Lord, please show me which field to go to. Which field should I go to? Mm, don't hear anything. Don't see any signs. Didn't have a dream or a vision. Not really sure what to do. But I know I'm hungry. And I know I need to go do something. And so what she decides to do is she just decides to go. Now the question for you is this. How did she know where to go? Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. She got up, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And look at what the Bible says. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, which was of the family of Elimelech. How did she get there? Did she have freedom to choose? Absolutely. Where did she choose to go? The Bible says this, and I love this. It says she just happened to go to the field, or the portion of the field, belonging to Boaz. Of all the fields that she could have chosen, did she have freedom to choose? Absolutely. Of all the fields she could have chosen to go and glean in, she chose the one that happened to belong to, the, to, the, to Boaz. Wow. You know what the Bible says? She got lucky. What it says. That's what the word, she happened upon that field. The word happenstance is, is what most of us in our culture would say, <laughs> she, she just fell in it. She got lucky. What a coinky dinky. Man, I, I mean, can you believe that? I mean, she, now, now here's, here's, the, uh, here's a CNN reporter. Or no, let's make it a TBN reporter. Goes to Ruth. Hey, can you tell us? How did you end up in the field of Boaz? Wow, you must have had some real vision from God. You must have had real direction from God. You must have had a leading from God. God must have spoke to you. <laughs> and she said, hey, 
didn't you read the book of Ruth? So we run back up and we look at it and she said, I just picked it. Now, I don't know how she picked it. Now, hey, now, so you got some younger people here and you say pick it and they all start laughing. So I know what's going on. Um, but the point is that she got lucky. That's what God says. She got lucky. Now, let me, let me just share some things with you and give you some insight here. I was thinking about this. She just happened. Now, you know, did God lead her? I believe that he did. Did he speak to her? The Bible says no. Did she have a vision? No. Did she have a dream? No. Was she led? No. Did she uh, have any idea where to go? No. And, and, and the reason I want to say this and make this very clear is because I was watching the Super Bowl last week, and I was watching all the interviews that led up to the game. And as much as I respect some of the athletes um, that were being interviewed and their willingness to use that platform to mention the name of Jesus, I was also, and I'm also concerned uh, when an athlete or anyone for that matter says this, I told you that God spoke to me. And that was the reason that I signed that contract. And you laughed at me when I said that God spoke to me, but I'm just telling you that God spoke to me. As if winning the Super Bowl was affirmation that God really did that. Now, some of us talk as if God sends us, you know, email every morning about what he wants us to do that day. You know, we got a Western Union telegram. Oh, this is what I want you to do today. This is my will for your life today. Some of us act as if we have some kind of a divine revelation from God that he audibly speaks to us, and we come off bold and confident that, you know what, God spoke to me. I'm concerned about that. And the reason I'm concerned about it is because the Bible says in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, that God doesn't audibly, directly reveal himself to people like he did in the Old Testament. Did God speak to Adam and Eve? Yes, he did. Did God speak to, to uh, the prophets? Yes, he did. But the Bible says in, in those days, that's how God revealed himself. But he goes on to say, but not anymore. Because when he spoke through the prophets and the law and he spoke directly and revealed himself, not only he does not do that anymore, because his final and greatest revelation is when he spoke to the prophets, he shouts in the person of Jesus Christ. We've got the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. We've got direction. We've got God's email. This is his special delivery telegram to us. We're not going to have any other further revelation than that which he's already given us. We've got the book of Genesis, which is the beginning. We've got the book of Revelation, which tells us how things wrap up. And everything in between is enough information that we need to live our life on a regular basis. What we need to recognize and understand is, personally, I don't know about you, but as I look back on my life, I can now clearly see how God has led us in our family when we've made decisions. But let me tell you how this works. We had the freedom to choose whether we'd move to California. We had the freedom to choose what business we'd get into or what job that we'd take or what school that we'd go to or whether we wanted to have children or not have children. We had, we had the freedom to choose a lot of different things. And it's only in hindsight that I can look back and say, you know what, now I can clearly see how God's led in our life. But at that particular moment and point in time, I didn't know what he wanted us to do, and I wasn't really sure. Sure, you pray about it, you get counsel, and you look at the Bible, and you try to get you know, insight. But you know what? Sometimes the bottom line of all of it is this, just this. When God, you sense God's leading you in a certain direction, and it doesn't conflict with what the Bible says, and it doesn't conflict with the counsel that you're getting, and if you're married, your spouse is in agreement, hey, you know what? You just do it. You just do it. 
And you don't know how it's going to turn out. That's what faith is all about, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I just believe you just want me to do it. It doesn't conflict with anything. I'm not violating anything here. We search the scripture. We look at it. No, this doesn't violate anything. God, what do you want me to do? Hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to step out in faith. Ruth, I want you to get up and I want you to go glean in the field and don't worry about which field. You can use your wisdom and understanding. You look and there's a lot of people in one field, no one in another field. Go to where there's a lot of people because the guy must be nicer there than the one that everyone's afraid to go to. Use your head a little bit. See, we need to recognize and understand something. You know what? God is not going to speak to you about what he wants you to do. And you say, how do you know that? Because God spoke to me. <laughs> well, how did he do that? Right here. Right here. He speaks to me the same way that he speaks to you. Decision-making process, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. This is so critical that we understand this, particularly when we hear things like that in our culture, how God's... See, listen to me, here's what's going to happen. If you believe that God is going to audibly speak to you because other people say that God has audibly spoken to them, the reality of it is this. You will never do anything for the kingdom of God or for God's purposes because you're going to be waiting around for that revelation from God and it just isn't going to be there. In Ecclesiastes 11, look at verse 1. Solomon gives us insight on them how to make a decision. He says, hey, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Let me just give you a little thumbnail sketch of how to make a decision in life. Number one, the Bible says to cast it. It has to do with making a decision. They used to cast lots to come up with a decision. Cast means a decision. Life, life is filled with opportunities. We have all kind of choices to make. Should I, shouldn't we? Should we or shouldn't we? Should we go there or not go there? Should we do this or not do that? Should we buy this or not buy that? Should we invest in this or not do that? I mean, we got a million decisions in life. What should we do? God says, hey, you need to make a decision. And sometimes it's very clear in Scripture, and if God's clear, then you just go with what He says to do or not to do. That's simple. But what about all the times where it's not clear? He says the second thing is, you make a decision, and it has to do with your bread. It has to do with your personal commitment. It has to do with the sustenance of life. Sometimes just down and dirty, the decisions that are going to affect your life. He says, make a decision and make a commitment. And we need to recognize and understand that. He says, now, you know what? And, and cast your bread, what? On the surface of the waters. There's a point in time where you make a decision and you just lay it down in the water and you just release it and you just let it go. So many of us, we drive each other crazy and we drive people around us crazy. When we go through this thought-making process, we make a decision and then we have buyer's remorse. Oh, I don't know, should we have done that or shouldn't we have done that? Well, you know, if you weren't sure whether you should have done it or shouldn't have done it, then wait until you're sure that you should have done it or shouldn't have done it. And once you were sure and you had peace from God, it doesn't conflict with Scripture, you had a, a peace with your spouse, you just said, hey, let's go ahead and do it, then just do it and let it go. And let, let it go and what? And then let God, let God be responsible for the results. Let God be responsible cast it on the surface of water, release it into God's hand, and look what God says, and then you will find it. What? Your reward. What? The answer you're looking to for the decision that you just made. The affirmation that, hey, you know what? You did the right thing. But when are you going to find it? Here's our problem. After many days. God, I just made this decision, and I want you to affirm it now! I need to know now! Because it may not be too late. I can change my mind. 
God said, hey, you made the decision. You had peace about it. It doesn't violate Scripture. You prayed about it. You sought God's wisdom for it. You had, hey, just do it. Let it go. And now trust God in the process. And it may be after many, many, many days. Shoot, I didn't know for five years why God led us, so to speak, to move to California. It wasn't until I met people that introduced us to Jesus Christ. I can look back now and say, hey, I had my own reasons for moving to California. Linda had her own reasons for moving here. Oh, I was going to go to school and I was going to do this, that, and the other thing. And those are all my free choices to do. But you know what God said? But I got a greater purpose for you. And this is the vehicle that I'm going to use to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Was it our plan? No. Was it Ruth's plan? Could you imagine now? Ruth is walking out, and it's so important to all of humanity which field she chooses to reap in, because if she doesn't reap in the field she goes to, she doesn't meet Boaz, and if she doesn't meet Boaz, they don't get married, they don't have children, and she's not the great-grandmother of Jesus. What is God going to do if she messes this up? How you just see it now? She's walking down the street, and she was going to go into this other field, and all the angels were going, No! Then she walked over here, and they went, Oh, yes! Whoa, man, there's a lot of pressure on her. Could you imagine if God told her, hey, listen, this decision you're about to make, all of my plan for salvation hinges on it. <laughs> I don't think I'll go anywhere. See, that's some of us. We act like all of God's plan for you, humanity is based on us making a right decision. Chill out. Relax. Why? Because God is still in control even when we make dumb decisions. Amen. Isn't that great? That's great. Sometimes you just got to go and trust God and you move out in faith. You know, I, I, one, of the, one of my closest friends I met because, you know, did God speak to me? No. Did he put someone on my heart as far as somebody that you ever have where somebody's on your heart, on your mind, you're thinking about them, you should call them, you should write, you should go to them or whatever? I mean, we all have that, right? Hey, does God say, call her? No, but you just have this, you know, I should do this. I went to someone's house once when I first met him, knocked on his door, he came to the door, and I said, I'm not even sure why I'm here, and I didn't say, God spoke to me, but I've just been thinking about you. And I'm not sure why, but hey, do you want to have lunch? And he looked at me and said, you know what, I know exactly why you're here. And I said, good, because <laughs> I am clueless. Tell me about it. This is going to make a great illustration someday. <laughs> I just had someone not too long ago, about a month ago, this guy's parents called me and said, hey, listen, our son's really having some problems. Would you do us a favor and just call him to see if he'll meet with you? So I called him. We were going to get together. Christmas came. One thing led to another. He's changing jobs. He's moving. You know, and, and I just, he just never called me back to get together. But, you know, six weeks, eight weeks go by, and I'm still thinking, you know what, I wonder how he's doing. So I'm thinking about this typical guy. I'm thinking about it for about a week. <laughs> After about a week, I write it down as one of the things I need to do, call so-and-so. After a few more days go by, I'm flipping through the TV, and I watch, and Seinfeld comes on. And this guy that I'm supposed to call is an extra on Seinfeld. And it happens to be, out of the 27,000 episodes of Seinfeld, it's the one that he was on. Now, I'm slow, <laughs> but I ain't that slow. So the next day, you better believe I hurried up and called him. Hey, well, you know, I've been thinking about you, and then when I saw you on Seinfeld last night, the odds of that aren't real good, so I figured I might as well give you a call. And you know what he said? Man, I can't believe you called me today. For the last two days, I've really been struggling. I really needed you to talk to. Did God speak to me? 
audibly? No. Did he tell me what to do? No. Did he give me the freedom to decide if I was going to do it or not? Absolutely. Is his plan for humanity hinging upon whether I'm obedient or not? No. But we still have the freedom to do what God allows us to do. The point and the purpose of all of that is this, man, let me tell you something. You can relax because God is in control. I don't know how else to tell you. It's okay. Elizabeth Elliot writes in her book, Through Gates of Splendor, about her experience with her husband and their friends, who they believe God led them to the mission fields. And while they're in the mission fields, every one of the men were brutally murdered by the people that they went to reach to tell them about the love of God and Jesus Christ. And you know what? And her conclusion was the same one as Job's when he said this, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Wow. Did God really affirm with that individual that God spoke to him because they won a Super Bowl? I don't think so. Did God affirm with Elizabeth Elliot and her family that they did the right thing because things didn't turn out the way they thought? Absolutely. Because they knew no matter what the result, that didn't make any difference. What really mattered was that I stepped out in faith and I followed God's leading and I just did what he told me to do. It's not the result that's important. It's the obedience in the process that God's looking for. And that's this introduction that we see of Boaz to Ruth. And we need to recognize and understand that she had the freedom to choose. But you know what? But God was still superseding in all of this. And we look at that and we find that Boaz, now Naomi said, go ahead and do it. And the Lord bless you and boast. And what I like about this is it says she happened to go into the part of the field. Here's the way I picture it. She was gleaning in a, in a field that didn't belong to Boaz. And as she continued to work and was diligent throughout the course of the day, she ended up in a part of the field that did belong to Boaz. And when she got there, Boaz showed up and said, Hey, I love you, man. And they all said, We love you, man. This is great. Thanks for letting us take this food for our families. And so then when he was there, we see what happens. It says this. He said he looked and he said, Hey, whose young woman is this? Sometimes the Bible we lose a lot in the translation, but bottom line of all this is he's going, Who is this babe? This was love at first sight. That's what he's asking. He goes, who is this woman? Whoa. And now the servant got afraid. Oh, she's the, she's the Moabite, and she came, in and she asked him for his permission, and he was all afraid. And he was like, hey, I'm not, hey, that's not what I'm asking you. Who is this good-looking babe? You know, so I, I spoke at a high school retreat once, and I'll never forget the line that one of the guys gave this gal. They were doing, like, this dating game thing, and the, and the gal, and the guy said, hey, let me ask you something. Are your, are your feet tired? And the gal looked at him and said, tired? What are you talking about? Why would they be tired? He said, babe, because you've been running through my mind all night long. I like that. Gotta like that. Problem is, now you can't use it because you already heard it. <clears throat> oh, yeah, come up with your own. So anyway, that's, that's what he's saying there. Now, here's the interaction between Boaz and Ruth. So Boaz said to Ruth, hey, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and don't glean. And man, this guy's so excited. He's like, man, here's how, here's how you know you've been bitten by the love bug. All right? Boaz sees Ruth, goes, whoa, she's a babe. Then he says to her, hey, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Hey, you know what? You know you're in love when you want that person to be around you all the time. Don't, don't, don't go anywhere else. You don't need to go into anybody else's field. You just come here and, hey, I'd like you to be around me. 
And then he also goes on and says, hey, stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars of men of field. Hey, man, here is true love right here. This guy wants to be with her all the time in her presence. He wants to provide for her when she has needs. And he wants to protect her from all the other guys that are out there thinking she's a babe too. I say, hey, just marking off his territory. You're mine, and I'll take care of you. And I like that, and this is the kind of interaction that you have. Now, also, if you're going to take it a step further, you've got to invite him out to dinner. And, uh, and basically, that's what he did. In, in verse 14, he says, at mealtime, Boaz said, hey, come on over here. You know, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. Now, that doesn't sound like a real great date, I know, uh, from our cultural standpoint, but it was a pretty good date back then. Now, I can just imagine all these other parents out there knowing that this guy's this eligible bachelor, and they tried every way they could to convince Boaz to date their daughter. And here comes this stranger, and he just sees her, and it is love at first sight. How many of you believe in love at first sight? How many of you are here, you're married? You're married? Raise your hand. You saw your spouse first time, and you thought, whoa. Now, I know Linda did when she saw me, so that's why I'm asking the question. It was something like that. And I, I remember it was like, whoa. I mean, it's like, whoa. Now, I, when I saw, now, really, the truth was, when I saw her, that's why I was like, whoa. Whoa. She is gorgeous. She is sweet. I got to get to know her. Now, don't forget, too, and when, we're, and when, you're, when you live in Pennsylvania, you got to get the good ones quick. shake your head no you know it's the truth woman shaking your head that's the truth so that's what he did he's like hey I'm gonna invite her to dinner I'm gonna she's mine and so this is the relationship that they had and she sat down with the harvesters now ladies let me offer a little advice for you he offered her some roasted grain and look what she did she ate all that she wanted and she had some left over now now listen to me now you're going out on the first date don't throw a lick in your plate. <laughs> you can save that for after you're married. Don't go licking your plate. I can see it. I go, oh, that's just fine. Thank you very much. That's just fine. And she's stashing it all for later. She had a big old doggy bag on her way home. She's like, oh, man. But, but she did. She saved it for later. And that's kind of like there's a tip there somewhere. I don't know. And uh, so, hey, look at this. In verse 15 through 17, we see his instruction to the young men. He says, hey, as she got up the glean, Boaz gave orders to the men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. Check this out. Look what he's doing. He's saying, hey, listen, I like her. Don't make her just pick up all the scraps. What I want you guys to do is when you're out in front of her, throw her back the good stuff. That's what he's saying. And she's like, you know, and if she stops and starts picking it up, don't go turning around saying, you're not supposed to have that because you're just a poor stranger widow. You know, you're supposed to have the scraps. I want you giving her the good stuff. This guy is working it. I mean, he's just working it, man. I mean, he's just like, I, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction here. And look what happened. So Ruth gleaned in the field till evening. Then look at how she's threshed the barley she had gathered and it had amounted to about an epith. Now, what that is, that's a half a bushel. That's a whole week's worth of food for her and Naomi. You were lucky if you got enough to eat that day, and you had to keep going back the next day and the next day and the next day. She got enough to last her for a week. Now, something's not right here. And she's going to go home, and it piques Naomi's interest. She carries it back to town. She's probably dragging it behind her. 
whoa, this is a good day. She gets back to the house. Naomi sees it and sees how much that she had. And the first thing that she says is, hey, you know what? Where, where did you glean today? <laughs> Just a little curious here. Where did you glean today? And uh, she took it up. She went and she says, where did you glean? Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean? Where did you work? May he be blessed who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to the daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, man, this is great news. That man's our relative. And he's one of our closest relatives. And he is a kinsman. And he can be our redeemer. And God is at work. And though I came back a miserable person and I left full and I came back empty, God's still working in my life and in your life. And God hasn't given up on us yet. And his plan will be fulfilled. Wow. It says, then Ruth the Moabitess said further, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. This is going to get better. And she said, so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And man, Naomi is pumped up. She is so excited. She can't wait where this is all going to go. And next time we get together, she's going to come up with a plan of how she's going to develop this relationship, this love that obviously Boaz has for Ruth. And you know what? This is so awesome. You know, God is in control. And she had the freedom to make the decision. And yet God superseded in all of it. And she didn't even know where she was going that day. And what a great day she had. What a great day that she had. And you know why she had that great day? Because she just got up and she just did what God led her to do. Oh, man. You know what's so sad? Isn't it sad? So many of us have never seen God work this way in our lives ever. We've never had a day like this because we're sitting around and we're worrying about making the wrong decision. Oh, is this God wants me to do or isn't it what God wants me to do? Is this the way we should go or isn't it the way we should go? I need clear direction, Lord. And he said, you aren't getting any more clear direction than I'm already giving you because faith, folks, faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. He doesn't give us a complete roadmap. He doesn't give us a roadmap of where he wants us to go and he doesn't give us a roadmap of where he's going to take us. But he says, if you just walk in faith and you trust me and God's people walk by faith and not by sight. If you just get up and you just do it, man, God will open some doors. And I'm thinking, how can we go away with something here? Man, we did do a whole chapter. There's got to be something we can walk away with. And here's what I thought. So I'm listening to an interview from the Super Bowl. This guy's name is Curtis Martin. A young guy. Only been in the league a couple years. Godly wisdom beyond his age. The gal came to him. He plays for the New England Patriots. And she asked before this past Super Bowl, she said, what do you hope to accomplish in this Super Bowl? Because you are going to be one of your team's greatest chances to win this thing. What do you hope to accomplish by being here in the Super Bowl? And you know what he said? He says, the only thing I want to accomplish is God's purpose for me in being here. But don't you want to win? If that's God's purpose. Do you want to lose? I'll accept it if it's God's purpose. But I'm going to go out and play as hard as I can and do the best that I can because that pleases God. But, but I don't understand. And it was almost as if he said, you know what? And I don't understand yet either. 
Because I don't know what God's purpose is. God's purpose for every one of us is to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God's purpose for every one of us is to be not conformed to this world, but to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. What? That we will know what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is God's purpose of our life? God's purpose of our life is that we would just walk in obedience with God on a daily basis, trusting Him for the results, even though He doesn't tell us how it's all going to turn out. But what He's saying is, you just walk in obedience today. And God takes ordinary people like you and me in ordinary acts of obedience, going about and doing our work, living our life in a way that's pleasing to God. And He will turn them into something extraordinary. Ruth, she walked in obedience. And God turned that ordinary act of obedience into something extraordinary for all of humanity. I thought of Mary, the mother of Jesus. You think she set out on some grand scale to become the mother of our Lord? You think that's the reason she maintained her virginity, so that she could be the mother of our Lord? When the angel stopped and said, hey, you're going to bear the Son of God, she said, I can't because I'm a virgin. Duh. <laughs> it wasn't her plan, was it? It was obvious she didn't understand what was going on. But God said, you know what? Because you were obedient and you remained a virgin, now you qualify that I can still use you. Isn't that interesting? See, what God wants to us is to be in a position to be qualified to still be used by God. And that means we just walk in obedience every day and God will perform the extraordinary through us if he wants to. And if he doesn't, it's not that bad either because we don't suffer any consequences of doing the things that are wrong. So what are you waiting for? You're waiting for some audible voice from heaven? It's not coming. You have a decision to make? Then pray about it. Seek God's wisdom. Ask for counsel. Search scripture. And when you get to the bottom line, then all I can say to you is this. Just do it. Trusting God. Wow. It's good stuff, huh? book of Ruth. Never thought it'd be like this, did you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. God, we just thank you for, oh my goodness, just, we just thank you for how you, you just superintend in the lives of people. That even though we have the freedom to choose, it seems like we can't make wrong choices as long as we're obedient to you. And that your will will be done. God, may we be ordinary people who make ordinary acts of obedience. And may you take that ordinary obedience and turn it into something extraordinary for your purposes and for your glory. And we just praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, hey, you got to check it out next week. Naomi, Naomi's working it, folks. She is working it and she's going to work this out. A little matchmaking going on here. You might learn a couple things.